0: Well, we have been we have been in the book of Romans for several Sundays now. And I want to continue in that vein because I think Paul has much to teach us. I think what Paul says to us as the modern day church is still very alive, still very relevant still has great meaning in our lives as Christians. And in Romans 8, Paul has a lot to say about living in the Spirit. We talked about this in some detail last Sunday, and this morning I want to expand on that just a little bit and talk about the consequences, the net result, if you will, of living in the Spirit, of living according to God's terms instead of living according to our own terms. And so as Paul continues in Romans 8, beginning at verse 12, he writes, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. See, one of the cornerstone precepts of our faith is that those who believe in faith that Jesus Christ is Lord Those that believe in faith that Jesus Christ is Savior are adopted into the family of God as his children. When we cry out to God for salvation, Paul says. When we cry out, Abba, Father, for his mercy and his grace to save us. That's the Holy Spirit working on our individual spirit. Bearing witness that we are at that moment of accepting Christ. Children of God. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that amazing? Proclaiming Christ with your mouth and believing it in your heart. Instantly makes you a child of God. It's glorious. But that's not all, Paul says. Paul teaches us that we're not just children of God, but we are in fact heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Some versions say co-heirs with Christ to the kingdom of God. Now before we start counting our inheritance... Before we start shopping for that new Ferrari, right Bobby? Before we start celebrating all the privileges of being heirs to the kingdom, we need to read the fine print because there's a condition we must meet in order to be eligible to receive the inheritance of the keys to the kingdom. Paul says that we are in fact heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ under the condition that we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. See, suffering with Christ is part of our sanctifying path to glorification, to becoming like Him in perfection. It's not an easy path being a Christ follower in the world today, is it? There is suffering involved in following in His footsteps, isn't there? Because the way is narrow and consequently we get scraped and bumped and bruised by the walls and the stumbling blocks and the barriers and the briars and the brambles, right? That wait just outside the edges of that straight and narrow path. If we deviate off of his path just a little bit, often we find ourselves in trouble. So there is suffering on our way to glory. It's not for the faint of heart, but then, as they say, no guts, no glory, right? Reminds me of when I was a kid. Sometimes I'd go to Colorado or Utah with a family and we'd go skiing, usually over Christmas vacation. Now, if you've ever skied before, then you probably recall that there are symbols that tell skiers how difficult the slopes are. So that you can make good choices about which path you're going to take to go down the mountain. Making a wrong choice can have life-altering consequences. So if you're a beginner, then you look for the green circle. The green circle marks the easiest route. If you're an intermediate skier, then you look for the slopes that are marked with the blue square. Because those slopes are a little bit more challenging than the green circle slopes. And then if you're an advanced skier, then you'd take the slopes marked with a black diamond. Those are the ski runs intended for expert skiers. Now, there are also runs that are marked with a double and triple black diamonds, and those are for people who have something a little bit wrong with them in the head. (laughs) Those people that don't understand the uh, negative effects of gravity and uncontrolled speed and rocks on the human body. We leave those to them. Now, my brother and I, Michael, we were pretty good skiers when we were kids. Not great, but pretty good. And more often than not, we would opt for a black diamond run because we were on the verge of having that something wrong. And we would tell each other, no guts, no glory. And then we'd take off down the mountain. Now, taking the black diamond path was not for the faint of heart. The way was often difficult. But the reward for a successfully completed run, well, the reward was the story. It was the testimony that you were then able to give when you got back to the ski lodge with all of your arms, legs, feet, hands, neck intact. The way we must go to inherit the kingdom of God as a joint heir with Christ, well, that's a black diamond run. The way is narrow and it can be steep and difficult because the world doesn't like it. The world doesn't understand it when we take that path. There will be suffering, but the reward is glory and victory and a good story to tell our Savior when we get to heaven. And so Paul talks a lot in this chapter about future glory. In Romans 8, he continues at verse 18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God for the creation was subjected to futility not of its own will but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Have you ever groaned and longed for the kingdom to come? Well, for those in Christ, it's here. It's here. For in hope we were saved, Paul says. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, because our road to glory includes suffering, Paul is really careful not to sugarcoat it. He doesn't sugarcoat the suffering. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks in great detail about the suffering that he and Christians in that early church endured for the sake of the gospel. Listen to some of this. 2 Corinthians 6. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. That's a real picnic. That's the way it was then. That's the way it is now. Nothing has changed for Christians. 2 Corinthians 11. Are they ministers of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I am a better one with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless floggings and often near death. Five times I have received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And besides other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches." That kind of makes me smile a little bit. All those things. And the last thing is, and I worry about the church. Great suffering. We will endure. But then Paul puts all of that suffering into context. He says, no guts, no glory. All of that suffering is insignificant, he says, in light of the reward. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is is eternal. See, Paul wants us to know that the suffering that we all endure as Christians in the world today is painful and real. The suffering we endure as we follow Christ is real and it's difficult. But oh, the glory. Oh, but the glory of our testimony as we stand before Jesus on that day and declare our testimony. Jesus, my Lord, I gave it all because you gave it all. And I want to be just like you. Jesus, my God, I endured with patience because you endured the pain and suffering and death on the cross. Pouring out your life's blood for me. Your guts, your glory. Your guts, your glory. That's what gave me strength to remain steadfast in that narrow way. See, this momentary light affliction of my suffering prepares me for a greater, eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. So that gets me to thinking. Just who exactly Is this Jesus? That I should want to suffer for him in order to inherit this unseen kingdom of God? Who is this co-heir Paul speaks of and why on earth would I want to take on the responsibility and the suffering that goes with being a Christ follower? Well, Paul tells us who he is. And I have to tell you, when I read this, no matter how many times I read it, it always amazes me that I am a joint heir, that you are joint heirs with this person, Jesus. Listen to who he is. For in him, in Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in him. Everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, including you, including me. Whether on heaven or in earth, by making peace through the blood. Of his cross. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus with whom God has made us joint heirs to the kingdom? Well the short answer is he is God. He is the embodiment of the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is Creator God, your Creator, your Father, your Savior, your all in all. He is the way, the truth, the life, and nothing, no one comes into the Father's kingdom but through Jesus Christ. No exceptions. And so you are Heirs with him. And because of that eternal life. Peace and joy are your inheritance. They are the greater weight of glory that is yours if you will but invite him in to this slight momentary affliction that we call life.